two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of murder, ghosts, legends, and law. The healthy dose of debunking. As always, a little bit of Scully here, a little bit of Scully there. We do like to debunk. It wouldn't be ghoulish tendencies if we didn't say, yeah, no, that's wrong. So exactly. that's why you listen, and that's what keeps you coming back, right? So, all right, really quickly, I just wanted to tell everybody, October is going to be lit. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited. You'll, you'll also, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll probably be seeing me slowly losing my mind. I mean, that's how you know what's going to be lit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be a great month. We're really excited for spooky season. And we're going to have episodes for you literally every single week for October, which is, I'm going to probably lose my mind editing, but it'll be a great time mm-hmm. for you. So um, get ready to have uh, a few spooky tales, some debunking, some ghosts, some moita, you know, the use. But we're really excited about that. We also have a Patreon that actually has been like functioning now. So we're very excited. We sent out some really cool postcards. That's what they're called. Yes, thank you. Uh, (laughs) We sent out some really cool postcards to those who contribute. We also have some new content up there. Um, Mm -hmm. We have like the full length song that one of our friends wrote for Ghoulish Tendencies on there, which is pretty cool. And a couple extra goodies. So if you'd like to check out our Patreon and help support, you can support by donating whatever you can afford. There's a couple different options and it's a monthly contribution at patreon.com slash ghoulish tendencies. So help us help you, you know, (laughs) you know, we also just recently got some holographic stickers that are going to be super cool for our Patreons. We also have some really cool customized postcards for our Patreon. So, you know, You want the cute stuff? Give us a little dollar. Anywho, having said that, let's talk about our topic for today. What? (laughs) This topic's actually really interesting. I think one of the first times I heard about it, I I heard about it on a podcast, of course, because you know how we are. Um, But I also definitely uh, watch the ghost adventures episode of this because it's ridiculous i'm i'm mildly judging you right now you're not mildly judging me you're (laughs) fully judging me and that's absolutely okay because it wouldn't be a kim talbot moment if i wasn't judged for watching ghost adventures that's true Um, that's true but i will tell you this i rewatched ghost adventures yesterday after doing a bunch of research for this topic and got mad and was yelling at the TV because they don't give you all the information. So you bet your butt, right? You bet your butt. I'm going to give you all the deets for this podcast topic. I should probably say what our topic is at this point in time. It's a choice, you know. So uh, this topic is the Fox Hollow Farm. And this is actually a two-parter. So today's topic is going to really delve into the history, what actually happened, the murders, the true crime aspect of it. And then we're going to go into more depth with the residuals, the hauntings, the aftermath in the part two episode. So it's just too much for us to do for you in one episode. And we wanted to give you as much as possible. So 
This is about the Fox Hollow Farm. Just to give you a bit of a heads up, there is a trigger warning for suicide toward the end of this episode. So just be warned. We want to make sure that everyone is aware that that is coming toward the end, but we tried to not get too graphic for you. So there's this book that I actually read, and it's by Richard Estep and Robert Graves, and it's called The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm, Unraveling the History and Hauntings of a Serial Killer's Home. So a lot of my references are from this book. I'll tell you when there's quotes, uh, but there's also other research that I did outside of that because obviously we need to see where all this information is coming from. Right. And... Let me just give you a bit of a synopsis. So if you don't know about Fox Hollow Farm, in the mid-1990s, authorities discovered thousands of bones and human remains scattered across the grounds of Fox Hollow Farm in Indianapolis, Indiana. Detectives suddenly realized what had happened to all of the young men who had gone missing from the gay community in Indianapolis, along with those found dead along the local interstate. All arrows pointed to Herb Baumeister. That is a great name. Oh, I've got more good names for you, Kim. It's a good episode for that. I'm so excited. Uh, But he had some really dark shit that happened at his house, and outside of his house. And what's really crazy is that, you know, we talk about serial killers exhibiting behaviors as children and at work growing up, people see weird shit and they're like, that's kind of odd. I don't know how I feel about that, but you can't put your finger on why, right? Like some people don't really know how to process it. And in doing the research for this, uh, there's a few of those things. So I'm excited to tell you about it. So let me give you a little bit of background on our friend Herb. Herb, Herb, tomato, tomato, whatever you're... I was going to say Herb, but that's... I think for a name, it's Herb. And if you're referring to basil, it's Herb. (laughs) Well, this is not basil. This is Herb. (laughs) So (laughs) he was born Herbert R. Baumeister on April 7th, 1947 in Indianapolis, Indiana. And as a child, he exhibited certain questionable qualities, as I had mentioned. So in elementary school... He actually took a dead crow and he Ooh. put it on his teacher's desk it's very hereditary. to see what her response was. So I feel like I know what my response would be. <laughs> what would you do? Throw a tea party for the crow. <laughs> Is that not what the rest up? of you would do? Of course, in a little top hat yes. and uh, make little cakes. Is this like the falcon, a, falcon layer hat? <laughs> yeah, have a jolly good time. Isn't, isn't that what everyone would do? I mean, clearly Herb tried to because he killed the crow, but um, I don't know. This teacher probably was not as, you know, excited to have a tea party with a dead crow. So he did that. He also had a conversation with some classmates that made them go, what the fuck? And his classmates were asked if they liked to drink their own urine. Uh, what? What now? <laughs> yeah, I'm I sorry. Mean, I'm sorry. What now? <laughs> I don't know if he's like stranded on a desert island and has no like actual water and can't filter anything, or if this is just something he does for funsies. But um, I I don't know because it tastes so good, delicious. Um, maybe not a serial killer behavior, but what the fuck, herb. Not what we would call neurotypical behavior. Sure. But kind of weird. Just a little, 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 little weird. odd. A little uh, odd. And his father actually was kind of like, 
uh, he's kind of weird. Something's up. <laughs> so he had him uh, secretly tested psychologically. So he didn't tell anybody. He just took his kid and had him tested. And it's interesting because uh, the records are very limited to this, but we do have the test results. So the test results Ooh. gave him the diagnosis of schizophrenia mm. with the potential okay. of more than one personality present. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yes. So keep this in mind for our next episode and for a little bit later in this episode. Just remember multiple personality moments. Okay. Remember that detail. In high school, Herb didn't really fit in, but hey, let's be real. Neither did I. Um, And, you know, eh, I'm okay. I haven't killed anybody yet, but, you know. That you'll talk about publicly. What? (laughs) Who said that? Who said that? (laughs) Um, So he graduated high school in 1965 and went on to attend Indiana University as an anatomy major. (laughs) Flashing Uh, red lights, red flags. Him and Hannibal Lecter. (laughs) Right? It's like, who didn't see all of these, you know, arrows, flashing red arrows pointing to him saying, he gonna kill somebody. Uh But he dropped that in 1967. He ended up working at the Indianapolis Star, which was Indianapolis's oldest and largest daily newspaper. And in November 1971, he married his college girlfriend, Julie Sater, who at the time was working as a teacher. And in 1972, Herb actually spent two months in a psychiatric hospital Oh, dear. He had an emotional meltdown over a car problem. And I have to say, I feel I mean, you. <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel that. I know. I was going to say, like, you had a, I mean, with the climate of current days now, I would probably be also in a psychiatric hospital. But, you know, car problems. They cause you to have a meltdown. Eh, I'm glad he got help. But he, you know, when he got out, he actually ironically started working at the Indiana Bureau of Motor Vehicles. (laughs) Maybe it was a control thing. I don't know. Uh, But I guess, you know, they tell you to have a job doing something you're passionate about, right? So uh, I think you'd have to be sadistic to work there. So sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're not wrong. Now at this point, he continued to have some odd behavior and, uh, What kind of behavior, Gabby? Odd. It was odd. Very odd behavior. And uh, that Christmas, Herb sent out Christmas cards to his BMV coworkers, and the front of the card had a photograph of himself and another man, both dressed in drag. Yas, queen! I love that! (laughs) But it was 1972, and I don't know if everybody else loved it as much as I did. Um, so there was judgment passed and, uh, I don't know why he had a thing with peeing, but he also urinated on a letter. I mean, when, when you say that, like he is allowed to pee, like we all have a thing with peeing. Right. But I don't think you ask your like coworkers or your friends, if you like to drink your own urine. No, thank you. Thank you. Okay. And then he actually... There was a letter that was addressed to the governor of Indiana, and he peed on the letter. Oh, good Lord. And apparently that actually cost him his job at the BMV. So You think? You know, consequences. Things happen. People will judge you. So let's go back to his family life. 
So Julie and Herb had a daughter in 1979. They had a son in 1981. They had another daughter in 1984. So they had three kids. And this is a quote. By all accounts, Herb was a devoted husband and father, a man who doted on his children. So looking at his family life, you would never know that anything was wrong. He looked like cookie cutter, perfect dad. And little did anybody know, there were some things happening, you know, outside of his family life. Herb's parents were actually pretty well off. His dad was a doctor and they owned a condo on Lake Wawusi. Great name. And it's spelled W-A-W-A-S-E-E. And it actually is named after an indigenous chief, which is pretty cool. It's it's, the name just became cooler. Right. Just mostly W, what was it? W. A W E O W A W A like it's that's spelled awesome. like you would say Wawasi, but it's pronounced Wawusi. That's cool. I like it. I dig it. So you know, we like to have fun names. Hashtag Kim's favorite names. Kim's um, favorite names. And this lake was actually in northern Indiana. It was about two hours north of Indianapolis. Okay. This was a place the family constantly went to. They hung out there a lot. And in 1985, Herb was actually arrested for a hit and run. Oh, geez. And he was also drunk driving simultaneously. And did the person die? I couldn't find any information on that. I just, I don't think they did. I feel like I would have seen something about someone dying, like him killing someone with like vehicular. That also then becomes vehicular manslaughter and not, yeah. And there was nothing about that anywhere that I could see. So I think he was just being an idiot and driving drunk and hit somebody accidentally. Um, And that happened while he was visiting the lake home. And okay. So here's a few lists, just a couple things of like, you know, minor things that happened that were law issues. He also, in 1986, he was arrested for potential insurance fraud, but was actually acquitted after a short bench trial. So nothing came of that. But that was just like, you know. He had a history of problems with the law. Exactly. Um, So there's just a little bit of background there for you, for him. Now, in 1988... Herb and Julie opened up a thrift store business, and it was called Save-A-Lot, taking donated household items, reselling them, and donating parts of the proceeds to the Indianapolis Children's Bureau, which was, like, (laughs) such a sweet thing. So I can't help but think of Ted Bundy working for a suicide prevention hotline and thinking, like, oh, what a nice thing to do and, like, to help people, but he just killed a bunch of people, too. So I feel like this is, like, the parallel to that. But I look at a lot of killers who insert themselves into I mean who volunteer who you have um was it John Wayne Gacy who was a clown oh yeah for children's parties I mean previous clown yeah I don't know that that would have given me nightmares but it's not entirely uncommon to to see some of you know people involving themselves or people or killers who want to be involved in law enforcement that's actually fairly common golden state killer right there a Golden State Killer uh, and Ed Kemper yeah. wanted to be uh, I think it was like a state trooper or something, but he was too he was tall. Too, oh, he was he was, he was a tall. big boy. Um, he was he is he's still alive. Yes, he's around. He's a big boy. Mm-hmm. Overall, Herb was a successful businessman. He was a devoted family man, and he looked like he was a pillar to the community from the outsider's perspective. But guess what? His nickname was what was his nickname? <gasps> Weird Herb. Oh, buddy. I love it. I'm going to keep calling him Weird Herb. Poor, poor, poor buddy. Poor Weird Herb. It's like what Weird Al was before Al was weird. We had Weird 
Herb. Just Al. Actually, oh. <laughs> you know what? I feel like Weird Al was around the same time as Weird Herb. Technically, this part is in the 80s, but when crimes were committed, I'll get to it, or is like in the 90s. So the name Weird yeah. Herb actually came before Weird Al. All right, cool. We've solidified that fact. Now, while Herb was getting established, so his family thought, some shady shit was going on. Uh-oh, Nobody else shit. knew about. So shady shit. Let me set the scene for the shady shit. So it all started in 1985. Herb was 38. Now, at the time, and still to this day, the Indianapolis gay population has been pretty close-knit. And mm-hmm. a lot of people knew everybody's business, right? And it was well-known within the gay community at that time that members of that community had gone missing and had turned up dead oh. by strangulation. Mm. You had a few people that went missing. I'm going to give you some names of the victims. So the first mm-hmm. one was Eric Rotiger in 1985. He was a 17-year-old white male whose body oh. was found abandoned along the Indiana roadside. The second was Stephen Elliott in 1989. He was a 26-year-old male whose body was found alongside Interstate 70 in Hancock County, which is east of Indianapolis. The third was Clay Boatman in 1990. He was a 32-year-old male whose murdered body was found between Indianapolis and Columbus, Ohio. So all of these people were found murdered along the road, all by strangulation. Nine other bodies were found between 1980 and 1990 between Indianapolis and Columbus. So, funny enough... Julie Baumeister later told authorities that Herb had traveled to Ohio on business more than a hundred times during that time period. Wouldn't you know it? How convenient. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Right? All right. So, however, after 1991, no one found any more bodies alongside the road. It stopped. Hmm. So people thought maybe the killing stopped. Haven't found any bodies, but maybe, just maybe, the killer had found a more convenient source for disposal. Mm. So guess what else happened in 1991? Herb Baumeister purchased Fox Hollow Farm. Yeah, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. He bought it a farm. Is. He, Technically, it's so funny that it's called a farm. It's mostly just a mansion. And I'll tell you, I'm going to give you some information about this mansion. It was, and it still exists to this day. It's an 18 and a half acre estate. I think now it's a lot smaller. They've kind of like divvied off parts of the land, but at the time it was 18 and a half acres. That's a substantial Huge. size. Yeah. The house itself was 10,000 square feet. What? I'm like sitting in the tiniest apartment right now going, I wish, if only I could wish a dream. Just give me like 1,000 of that and I would be happy. Um, Anywho, it was a 10,000 square foot Tudor style home with nine bathrooms, four bedrooms. Nine bathrooms? I wonder why you need nine bathrooms and only four bedrooms. That made me question like, well, I mean, he does like his urine. (laughs) Like, urine was a big thing for him. So was it like a second of the possibilities? It, it, it was. It's like... Gross. I'm just, I'm just oh, saying. Oh, Kim went there. All right. I did. I did go there. <laughs> so it had four bedrooms. It actually had a separate apartment that was kind of attached to the house, but had its own building, had its own, like, bathroom, kitchen, what have you. It had a library. 
It had two horse stables. Well, so that's what I guess made it a farm. Uh, it had a 4,000 square foot garage. I would live there. What? I'm just saying I could live in that 4,000 square foot garage. And it also, the piece de resistance of this place was the indoor swimming pool, which a lot of people now know about. And I will get more into the swimming pool in a second. Okay. I'm pressing save. Not literally, but figuratively. All right. So it had imported chandeliers, not the pool, but the house. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. You know what? I thought for once my dream of having a swimming pool with an imported chandelier was finally being realized. From Italy, nonetheless. Italy. Yeah. Okay. I'm so disappointed. I'm sorry, Kim, but you don't want to go in this pool. I'll tell you why in a bit. No, it's true. Because <laughs> it's probably full of urine and other things. <laughs> and dead people did. This is a man who probably has no problem peeing in the pool. Uh, Just saying. Yeah, no, you're, and then drinking it, you know? Ew. Oh, barf. Sorry, guys. Went there. Hashtag urine pool. Oh, gross. That's not going to be a hashtag. I don't like that. No, my goodness. Hashtag urine pool. Make it start. Make it start. Make it trend, friends. Make it trends. <laughs> hashtag urine pool. I can't. All right. It also had antique fireplace mantles, and the study was entirely made of solid oak paneling. So this shit was bougie. And uh, fun fact is initially the building was, or the house was built by a wealthy doctor for his wife, and they, like, spent all their money. They did not care. They just wanted to make the bougiest home of all bougie homes. And it was built in 1979. Okay. And... What's interesting is that in 1979, it actually cost $1 million to build it. However, the asking price that Herb Baumeister paid for for the home was $979,000. Jeez. So they actually lost money on it. But, like, that's still a lot of money. Now, even though bodies weren't turning up yet at this time, young men from the Indianapolis gay community were still going missing. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of like transient people too. It wasn't like people that were really missed, but like people noticed yeah. that they weren't around. So few people were actually noticed. So I'm going to give you some dates and some names of some missing people. In May 1993, Michael Riley and Johnny L. Bayer both disappeared. In July 1993, Jeffrey Jones and Richard Hamilton disappeared. In mm. August 1993, Alan Livingstone disappeared. In 1994, in April, Stephen Hale disappeared. Then Alan Broussard in June 1994, and Roger Allen Goodlett in July 1994. So what's really interesting that I notice here is that it's more people in a shorter period of time, and it's more frequent and consistent. Yeah. And when you look at the previous dates, it's more spread out. It's like one person here, out. one He's person escalating. there. He's escalating. He's getting more ballsy. Maybe mm-hmm. it's easier for him to hide people. He doesn't have well, to like farm too. Like that's, you know, before it was mostly when he was traveling. Now he has all this land. Right. So there was definitely suspicion of some kind of serial killer at this point in time within the community. And they were obviously targeting young gay men, preferably those who would most likely not be missed. They were all uh, shorter than six foot. So they were not the biggest dudes. And they were all pretty, like, thin. So no one that was, like, super meaty or buff. Right. And no one that was overweight. So you would think that 
whoever is like seeking out these people is looking for someone who kind of looks vulnerable. What um, do we know? How like was he a tall guy, a big guy, strong guy? Not particularly. Okay. He he was someone who just looked really average. Um, and okay. I'll post some pictures to the Instagram so you guys can see what he looks like. He looks like such a normal dude, like yeah, cookie cutter, boring, normal dude. Except the ones who don't. <laughs> Except the ones you look at and you're like, yeah, you're a serial killer. I, he was. He did not look like a serial killer. And we'll get into him a little bit more, but I want to set the scene for you. So. Okay. Apparently, all of the missing families reported them missing, but the police didn't really think that one person was behind the killings. A couple of families even hired a private detective to look into this, but couldn't really find any evidence. 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 They had very little evidence Evidence. to go off of. And the only commonality other than the type of target was that each of them had been seen in one of the gay bars in downtown Indianapolis, and they all disappeared within the warmer months of the year. So during wintertime, it didn't happen as much. So now there's one person. We often talk about how do we know what happened during a murder? If a person is murdered, Where are we getting this information? If the killer is not alive or is not able to provide this information, where are we getting it from? So what's interesting with this particular case is there's one person that survived a potential attack, and a lot of information came from him. And he was a patron of the local gay bars in Indianapolis. His name was Tony Harris. And he had heard about these disappearances and ended up getting so involved that he was actually really lucky to live. So he was 6'5", so not the average 5'1 to 5'9 range of men that had gone missing. And Mm -hmm. he had met a man who claimed to be named, air quotes, Brian Smart (laughs) at one of the local gay bars. I don't know why that's funny to me, but it's kind of funny to me. Why are you going to give yourself a last name of Smart? Really? Okay. Anyway. Maxwell Smart, Agent 86. Basically. You might as well. It's a great show. (laughs) Get smart. Um, get smart. Should watch it. Okay. It's awesome. You got it. Oh, was not the one? Get smart? Wait, didn't um Steve Carell do a movie about Get Smart? Let's not talk of that movie and let's only talk of Don Adams, the original Maxwell Schmott, Agent eighty six. Steve Carell, but okay. Bye. I know, but he he the listen, the original show is fantastic, and there's a shoe phone, and it's amazing, and everyone should watch it. Hashtag get smart. Hashtag Don Adams. Hashtag shoe phone. I'm down for a shoe phone. Hashtag shoe phone and cone of silence. All right. Well, this is not about Maxwell Smart. This is Brian Smart. So Brian Smart apparently happened to be staring at one of the missing signs of the per- one of the missing people that was on the wall in this bar. And Tony Harris noticed that he was staring at it and started up conversation with Brian, asking him, "Oh, do you know this guy?" And he's like, "No, I don't know him." And uh, they actually ended up talking. They seemed to be vibing. Brian then invited him over to his boss's house to have a quote-unquote swim in the indoor pool, which could be figurative or literal, and it's hashtag not a urine pool. Um, Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was some kind of water sports thing. (laughs) No, there is a literal pool. So, you know, Tony is hesitant. He gets kind of weirded out by this guy, but he's also intrigued. And he's almost playing with fire. He's kind of noticing that this might be the dude that's like taking people away and killing them. But he thinks to himself, I'm a big dude. I'm not in the same 
you know, range, body range of the people that were being taken. So he can't do anything to me. I'm too strong. I would, I would, I would fuck this guy up if I could. So he noticed that he was bigger than him. So he wasn't too worried. He was like, maybe let's take our own cars. But Brian convinced him to take the same car. So he gets in the same car with Brian. They get to the house. Creepiest thing ever. Tony notices that around the swimming pool and in the kitchen, there's mannequins just standing oh. around. No, no. It's th- Listen, it's never a mannequin, but also mannequins are creepy. Yeah, no, it's fully creepy. Um, and in this time, it actually was a mannequin. It literally was a mannequin this time. Multiple mannequins. Clearly, quote-unquote, Brian Smart was lonely. Um, and they ended up partying in the pool. They literally were partying in the pool, so they got pretty drunk, did some cocaine, and ended up fooling around in the pool. And during that, Brian suggested autoerotic asphyxiation. And at this point, Tony's like, this is the dude. But he complied because he's in this, like, you know, vulnerable position. And he's kind of wondering. He's, like, kind of into it, but also kind of wondering what's up. And yeah, well, because you can't immediately know it's the dude just because it's a kink. Like, well, but he, like, uh, he thought it was the dude before he went to the house with him. But then why did he go to the house with because him? Because he was just testing. He, like, wanted to see if he could get out of it because he thought he was big enough to defend himself. So, I, I mean, still, like, dude, dude. I'm just, you know, don't shoot the messenger, man. I'm I just know. telling the story. Just, like, th- that's such a. And I don't mean this, like, this is not victim blaming. I just mean, like, if I, you know, and maybe this is a, a girl thing. If I meet somebody who I think is a serial killer, I don't say to myself, mm, I could take him. Let me see if I could take him. I'd be like, hi, num one one, yeah. you know? Well, I also, I think you have a really, like, valid point. I don't think it's a, I think it's a very different response from a dude. I don't think it's the same. Um, yeah. So anyway, in any, in any case... Tony complies and Brian gets the pool hose and puts the pool hose around his neck. Sorry, that's not, that's not you. (laughs) I know, but it gives you a good visual. In the moment that this was happening, Tony told Herb, I'm not going to let you hurt me. Like physically told him that. So Brian took the pool hose, put it around Tony's neck, slowly tightening it until Tony started to see red spots. At this point, Tony knows this is not so hot. So Tony immediately pretends to pass out, falls limp into the pool, Mm. and pretends to be out. So the pool hose is loosened around his neck. And a few seconds later, he opens his eyes, surprising Brian, saying... It's you, Brian. You're hurting people. I have no choice. I'm going to the police. He tells him that. Wow. And Brian retorts back, no one is going to believe a person like you. But I also, I understand where he's coming from. It, it is, I hate to say it, it is his word against. Yeah. You know, like. That's true. For sure. And there's, there is a, again, a lack of evidence. evidence. But also, that's part of the reason why he was choosing people that were yeah. like this. You know, they were no, smart. not the most reliable sources, I guess you could say. And so at one point, they kind of go back and forth and argue for a minute. But, you know, Tony realizes he doesn't want to push his luck. So he wants to get out of there alive. So he decides to appease Brian. So they end up, like, making out. He stays the night. 
miraculously, he doesn't die. And the next morning, uh, Herb drops him off at the bar wow. where he picked him up and says that he would like to see him again. And wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. 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 So they had set up another time wow. to meet, but Herb actually bailed, never showed up. Later, driving by Tony's house, but Tony never told Herb where he lived. So Herb uh-huh. somehow found out where Tony lived and drove by his house. Yeah. So, you know, thus begins a very interesting relationship, quote unquote, between Tony and Brian, which is questionable based on what happens throughout the years, right? Um, It didn't stop Tony from going to the police. Tony actually, the next day, reported Brian. And unfortunately, because it was so dark out when he went to the house, he couldn't see the name of the house because it says Fox Hollow Farm right outside of the house on a sign. He couldn't see it. Everything was dark. He didn't know where he was. So he couldn't really point the police in the right direction of like where to go to find this guy. And... The police told him, we need more information. Maybe try getting his license plate number. Maybe go back to the bar and see if he shows up and get his license plate number, and then we'll go from there. And so that's what he ended up doing. And, you know, what's interesting, though, about this particular story is that Tony is the only living person that has this story. Uh, No one else is able to tell the story. So all we have is Tony's account. So... He actually frequented the bar where he met Brian throughout the entire winter of 1994, because this happened in early 1994. And Brian didn't show up again until spring of 1995. So he waited again till the warmer months. Isn't that interesting? So Mm. when he saw him there again, he told one of his friends to write down Brian's license plate number while he distracted Brian inside of the bar. And so they get the license plate number. They go to the Indianapolis missing persons detective that's assigned to the case. And they then put his information into the BMV, ironically, because he worked there. And they determined that this car belongs to Herbert R. Baumeister. And the house is Fox Hollow Farm. So Brian Smart is... Herb Baumeister. So then right. it kind of brings you back to that split personality disorder situation. Like, was mm. he trying, was he actually having a split personality or was he covering up his name? Like, you don't really know because we can't talk to him. We can't ask. Right. So a detective then pays Herb a visit at his work at one of his save-a-lots and asks him if he has frequented gay bars in the area, fully embarrassing him, catching him totally off guard. So he immediately denies it. He's like, no, what are you talking about? I would never do that. He's a married man, has kids, right? So after further questioning, he finally admits that he had occasionally gone to a few. The detective Mm -hmm. then asks, you know, I need to search your property. We think that there's some kind of connection with you and these recent disappearances. Uh, And Herb's like, nope, you better go talk to my lawyer and gives him his lawyer's name. And there was a whole debacle about the lawyer. The I think this is really interesting, actually. The detective then goes to the lawyer. Lawyer denies even knowing who Herb Baumeister is. The office huh. doesn't know who Herb Baumeister is. Kind of makes me think, do they have Brian Smart's name? Or do they just right, not yeah. know? Are they like playing dumb? Like you don't really know, but you would think that a law office wouldn't play dumb when it comes to like talking to the police. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the detective gets sent in circles before being able to acquire any information. And after a third try, the detective was denied access to 
uh, Baumeister's property. And there's a loophole. There's a super smart, super cool loophole that makes me want to high five someone. And (laughs) the detective got in touch with a well-known forensic anthropologist from the University of Indianapolis. And together they determined that they could do an aerial survey of Fox Hollow Farm to see if they could locate any potential burial spots. Mm. They also used an infrared camera to detect the heat that would be emitted by a human body during the decomposition process. How mm. cool is that? I thought that was so cool. When I was reading that, I was that like, oh my cool. God, that's rad. Who came up with that idea? I want to have five of them. That's so cool. Although, uh, spoiler alert, they didn't find anything. So A for effort, but mm, they didn't you. find anything. So womp, womp. <laughs> Time goes by. Baumeister starts putting bodies closer and closer to his house because he wasn't getting caught. So, you know... He's getting lazy. He doesn't want to go as far out into the woods as he could. Um, And in the winter of 1995, Baumeister's son finds a human skeleton fully intact laying in the undergrowth in the nearby woods 50 feet from the back patio. Oh, wow. So what does he do? It's like stupid little boy behavior. He takes the skull, puts it on a stick, Oh, scares his siblings with it. Oh, <laughs> Lord. So, Kim, you're like imagining your nephew doing that. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm imagining teaching him how to do that. Oh, what? no. What? Who said that? So, of course, his mom finds it, flips out, confiscates it, and goes to Herb and goes, what the hell is this? Why is this in my yard? I like that she still goes to him and not the police to be like, hi, here's a skull. Wait, it gets better. Wait, 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 there's more. So she then finds the full skeleton in the backyard. Goes to Herb. Herb. Goes to Herb. (laughs) Goes to Basil. Goes to Basil. Herb, Herb, Basil. Um, And literally tells him, get rid of this. Why is this here? (laughs) And where did it come from? And... His response, are you ready for his response? Lord, I don't think I am. (laughs) His response is that it's an anatomy medical skeleton from his dad's practice. That he just put in the yard. Just laid down in the yard like someone just literally laid down and died. She doesn't question it either. She doesn't even say like, that's weird. Weird herb. That's weird. Doesn't even say anything. No. I mean, I will say though, using the whole like, it's a, a human anatomy skeleton. That's not a bad, it's not a bad, like, excuse. I mean, I think it's spooked in the death museum. We had a real skeleton. Yeah, but that's a death museum. This is someone's backyard. Right, but I mean, I, like, it's it's actually, I, the, the being in the yard's a little weird. But, but as a reason why you have a skeleton, oh, my dad was a doctor and, and I use it now as a Halloween decoration. It's weird, but also there's people who are going to buy it. I mean, obviously this woman bought it enough that she didn't even. Well, she didn't go to the police (laughs) at this point. I will just say at this point, she did not. Yeah. I will say the first time I found a human skull, I would probably go to the police. Yeah, I mean, any logical person probably would. But uh, apparently she dismissed everything, as, you know, you do. And uh, once the police became involved, which we'll get to in a bit, she eventually shared the information with them. But uh, so let's go back to that detective. So that detective reappeared with more ideas. They weren't done. 
And this time she approached Julie. And Julie's name was actually on the deed of Fox Hollow Farm too. So she was like, ah, I'm going to ask her if I could get into the house. Mm-hmm. And so one would think that after finding human remains on right. her property, knowing that people have gone missing in the vicinity, that when the police come to investigate and ask to take a look around your house, Julie would have maybe been a little bit suspicious of her husband. Just a little. Just a smidge. But no, of course. She just told the detective that she'd be happy to show her the property once they had evidence. 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 Against Herb. So, Herb, two, law enforcement, zero. Um, And apparently things weren't really going so hot for Julie and Herb, though. So, their business was actually failing. She was losing faith in their marriage. And she ultimately filed for divorce. And during this time, Herb had moved out of the house and into the apartment that was built into the side of the house that I talked about earlier. And so remember that. Remember that he lived there when we talk about the hauntings next episode. Okay. Uh, But this was when Julie started to notice that Herb had some really wild mood swings. And it was happening more frequently. She was kind of weirded out by it. She started questioning that skeleton that she found in the yard. And finally, uh, so she contacted her lawyers and finally got in touch with that detective. So at this point, Herb had been away at the lake house with their son. So the coast was clear for an investigation to begin at Fox Hollow Farm. So sidebar, Fox Hollow Farm was actually technically in Hamilton County, and the missing persons investigations were in Marion County. So they actually had two different sheriffs from both of the counties involved Mm -hmm. in this. Mm -hmm. So eventually, Julie took the detective, her lawyer, and one of the sheriffs to the spot where her son found the skeleton, and they ended up finding a ton of bones. So... The same forensic anthropologist was contacted. They helped identify the bones as human remains. I feel like that's going to be our, like, take a shot phrase. Human remains. Take a shot. Let me get my whiskey. There it is. (laughs) And apparently the forensic psychologist was able to tell everybody that those were really recently deposited. They're not old bones. Those are new bones. So Fox Hollow Farm officially was a crime scene. And Julie immediately requested that the detective retrieve her son from the lake house where he was with her because now she was worried about his safety. And the detectives didn't say anything to Herb, though. They just pretended like they were just picking up the kid for the mom. And you'd think that, you know. Yeah, that would, if if I was a serial killer, allegedly, (laughs) (laughs) admitting to nothing, um, that would raise one or two alarm bells with me personally you know just saying it's interesting you say that because it it did make his ears kind of go up a little bit when he saw detectives Uh at his door Uh um however the detectives couldn't pick him up even if they wanted to they didn't do it and the reason why they didn't was because they didn't have enough evidence apparently to support his arrest so all of the bones on his property weren't enough you would think but technically the evidence wasn't specifically tied to herb 
It was just bones. It was just bones in his yard. So they didn't have any evidence as to like him being associated with them. And it was all circumstantial. So if they And they hadn't identified any of the bodies at this point. Correct. It right. was all it literally had all just happened. So okay. if they had charged him without enough evidence, the chances of Herb walking free in a trial were super substantial. So they wanted mm-hmm. to get him, get him. They didn't want him to just walk free. So let's talk evidence for a second. Evidence. evidence. All right. So Bone fragments were found in ways that it was obvious that the bones were burned. So not only were mm. they out in the yard, but they were burned. Mm-hmm. Bodies were actually laid out to decompose and then doused in gasoline and ignited in order to get rid of as much identifying qualities as possible. Plus, you know, it's a forest. There's animals. They want snacks. So they had some snacks and they would drag their snacks all over the place. So bones were found Ouch. all over. Um, apparently the neighborhood kids even knew about the bones, which I thought was wild. They actually, apparently all the bones had actually found their way to the creek too. So the creek behind the house where the kids used to play had a bunch of bones in them and the kids didn't think mm-hmm. anything of it, which is normal. Maybe they're like us. I don't know. So the forensic anthropologists involved said, my favorite quote of the day. Are you ready for the quote of the day? Ready. It looked like a bomb went off in a people factory. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love that Well quote. said. Who said that, P.S.? The forensic anthropologist. Oh, the forensic anthropologist? Yeah. Okay. I don't have their name, but I just thought that that was like, for that person to have that job to say that, it makes it so much better. Well, particularly because they have had to have seen things. Oh, for sure. 100%. So within the first week of searching the area, the forensic anthropology team discovered thousands of bone fragments. Thousands. They had a total of 5,500 pieces of bones. Oh, jeez. So they were able to identify eight people off the bat. There was an estimated total of people buried at the farm of 17 to 20. So 17 to 20 oh, people were out there. Most of mm. the victims, like we talked about, were transients, which is why Herb chose them. Mm-hmm. And it seems as though initially Herb worked extra hard to hide the bodies. But over right. time, he became less and less cautious, eventually only placing the body like 50 feet from the house. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where his son found it. This is a quote. The FBI profiler involved stated that many serial killers that have a long history of success often tend to be emboldened and start taking chances that they would not have dreamed of taking at the beginning of their killing career. So often it is complacency that gets them caught. Very true here. Apparently, Uh one of the investigator's spouses, don't talk to your wife, she leaked (laughs) the information about Fox Uh Hollow Farm to the media. So... It's on the local news now. Guess mm. how Herb finds out. Herb is, is watching the, the news. news. He finds <laughs> out while he's at the lake house that his house is on the news and that bones are being found there. So I guess that's kind of like the equivalent of being broken up with on like social media before being oh. spoken to. I don't know. Maybe it's worse. Um, just kidding. So Herb is like, yeah, no thanks. I'm Audi 5000. So... He leaves and doesn't really take much with him. Um, He goes to Canada from the lake right after he hears about the media. And he's actually pulled over by Canadian police while in Canada. Mm -hmm. Police notice he has a bunch of videotapes in his backseat. Kind of strange. But 
nothing else apparently looked suspicious. They didn't know who he was or mm-hmm. like what was on the news at all. It was a huge disconnect. I mean, Canada, it's not even the same country. So um, they let him go. And you have to question what was on those tapes that he doesn't bring like anything else with him, but he has a backseat full of tapes. So hmm. here we go with theories. Some people think that uh, the tapes are tapes of murders that he committed yeah, on like hidden cameras. Um, and unfortunately the tapes have never been recovered. So no one will ever know. Uh-huh. I know that was going to be your next question. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so I'm like, let me answer for you before you ask. Um, they actually found tapes in the house when the new people moved in in 2009, which we'll talk about in a bit and in the next episode. But the tapes were mm-hmm. all of like football games. It was like nothing mm. of substance. So why did he go to Canada? He drove to Canada because he wanted to end his life. And yeah. he was, uh, here's a trigger warning for suicide for anyone that is affected by that. Herb was found dead the next day by Lake Huron in Pinery Provincial Park in Ontario, Canada, suspected to be suicide with a gunshot wound to the temple. Mm. He had left a suicide note apologizing for leaving his family in financial ruin and for what mm. would ultimately be a physical mess to clean up. Oh, jeez. He also mentioned in the letter that he made sure to only load his gun with one bullet so, God forbid, a child finds a gun on the beach, they won't be harmed or harm anyone else. I mean, that's weirdly considerate. I mean, <laughs> lol that he would be worried about that, but cool. Killing a bunch of dudes. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, but I mean, again, some serial killers have really weird like sense of morals i think this is a perfect example of that (laughs) like i'm fine killing all of these men but god forbid a child gets hurt i don't know it's interesting it's definitely interesting so there's actually some talk of weirdness with the suicide or with the Hmm. quote-unquote death um and the investigation of his death theories if you will Mm -hmm. so The person who found his body claimed that the gun was never found. However, uh, this fully conflicts with the Hamilton County Sheriff's Department, who said that they collected a gun from the Canadian authorities. So, scullied. Uh, Some people claim that he was found in the center of a, quote-unquote, occult symbol on, like, a (laughs) pillar of sand. Like, he built himself a platform and then killed himself on it. Um, Uh And that apparently... He was surrounded by dead birds, potentially seagulls, which actually sure. brings me back to, like, his childhood of, like, killing a crow and leaving it on his teacher's desk. Like, I just feel like that's a weird, like, full circle moment. Mm. Um, now, your favorite person in the world, Zach Bagans, uh, uh, Ghost what? Adventures. <laughs> He thinks that Herb's death was an occult ritual. I'm going to snort every time. I'm sorry. Used to give his spirit some kind of power in the afterlife. Uh, I'm sorry. Continue. That's what an eye roll sounds like in case Uh, you're wondering. That's an eye roll. The best part about this is in my notes I wrote, eh, question mark, and you said it. I didn't have to Uh, say it. Don't worry, I'll have more for your uh, for you with your friend Zach in our next episode when we talk about the ghost. Uh, I know. Yeah. Some people claim that Herb actually had an accomplice 
and he didn't do all of these killings by himself and that they wanted to get away with literal murder. So they forced Herb to write a suicide note and then they killed him. But there's actually no evidence to support this and there's no physical like there's no physical evidence on a gun or in that area or even involved in the killings that anyone else was ever suspected. So shortly after Herb's death, his family moved out of Fox Hollow Farm, understandably. And although the police were never able to definitively prove Herb guilty, all arrows point to him. So yeah. there were never any other credible suspects. So it also is suggested that Herb also killed the young uh, men who were dumped along the road in Indiana and Ohio between 1980 and 1990, just because, I mean, they all fit his MO and they mm-hmm. were all strangled and there were never any other suspects. So. Weird Herb was also considered the I-70 strangler. And yeah, I've heard it referred to as that. Yeah. So there's been a little bit of a transitional like Herb Baumeister or the I-70 strangler. I feel like the I-70 strangler I f- doesn't even do him justice just because a lot of the like killings happened at Fox Hollow Farm. So mm-hmm. and those killings did involve strangulation. And it's assumed that a lot of those killings happened in the pool. So like that whole story with Tony kind of gives you insight into how Herb would kill people. Um, yeah, a lot of the last moments. Yeah. And it's crazy right? that like Tony got out of it, right? Yeah. So some might surmise that Herb's death is the end of the story of Fox Hollow Farm. And never is. But really, it's just the story of the murders and the trauma. So uh, since the Baumeister family left the house, tenants remained sparse. And up until 2009, the owner of the house didn't even live in it. So it was on the market for $2.8 million and was eventually purchased by Robert and Vicki Graves for $987,000. So I think it's wild that they paid for less than half of the the value of that house. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. Well, no one else would buy it. And I'd buy it. I mean, do you have $2.8 million, Kim, that you're not telling me about? <laughs> no. No, I do not. <laughs> That's okay. When you do, we'll talk to uh, Robert and Vicki Graves. And there you uh, go. they actually are still the owners to this day. And apparently, Weird Herb's saga continues even into the afterlife. So the next episode, we're going to dive deep into discussing the potential paranormal activity experienced by both Rob and Vicki Graves, one of their tenants, uh, some psychics who will question, uh, and also actual paranormal investigators and the writer of the book that we talked about at the beginning. So... That's the story of Fox Hollow Farm and the murders, but there's so much more, and we have to dive into it for the next episode. So stay tuned for Fox Hollow Farm Part 2 for our next episode. And that brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics! What you watching, Kim? Uh, so actually, I I started on uh, Friday night. Maybe it was Friday night. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what week it is. I started watching uh, a new show on Netflix, uh, and it is called Julie and the Phantoms. Oh, cute! It's super cute. Like it's a kids show, but it's adorable. It's about this teen girl who her mom died and. She's a musician, but she's had trouble being a musician since her mom died. It's something her and her mom did together. And she 
accidentally like releases these three ghosts of these three teen musicians who died back in the 90s. Oh my God. And shenanigans ensue. And part of the shenanigans is that when they play music together, people can see the ghosts, but only when they're playing music together, they can hear the music and they can see the ghosts. Oh, no way. So she like forms this adorable little ghost band. (laughs) Is the band called Ghost Band? No. Um, (laughs) That'd be so cute though. That'd be so cute. But it's it's like, it's super sweet. I, I wanted something light and fluffy and and yet still on brand. And uh, full disclosure to like the, the guy that did this did high, the High School Musical movies and the Descendants movies. And I actually really like the Descendants movies. Oh, I've never seen them. Had, they're, I mean, they're, they're kids movies, but they're all about the children of all of the Disney villains. Mm-hmm. So it's like Maleficent's daughter and um, the son of Cruella de Vil. And they're cute. They're fun. They're cute. They're super, super, super silly. Um, but I, I enjoy them, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this show, even though it's, again, it's, it's definitely geared young, but it's, it's sweet. It's fun. It's a good time. If you need something that's fluffy or if you want something that's family friendly, but also still has a little bit of ghost, little spook, little spook and, and some, and again, some catchy music. Like I dug the music. It's just, it's very cute. It's very sweet. Aw. Uh, and then I've also I've been on I've been on a Netflix show catch up because um I was a big fan of the show Lucifer. Oh. And it was uh used to be on Fox and then it got canceled and then Netflix picked it up. And so the new season of Lucifer dropped recently and I've been catching up on season 5. And I have to say since the show moved to Netflix, I really think it's it's gotten better. Partially because they're they're doing you know condensed seasons. They're like eight episodes or nine episodes or whatever, and uh, so they're not trying to fill like a twenty-two episode season like you would on a major network. Probably better quality. Yeah, well, it's cutting out all of the filler, and so the it's it's a tighter story, and you feel like each episode actually has is moving the story forward. Um, so I. I really enjoy the show. Also, the actor that plays Lucifer is very easy to look at. Um, and since moving to Netflix, I feel like we see his butt a lot more. Oh, really? Yes. No, <laughs> not complaining at all. So I've been, I, I'm still doing 100 Days of Horror, of course, but I, I kind of wanted to mix up with some stuff that I, I knew I would like because I've watched a lot of shit lately. So there you go. I've watched a lot of shit lately. That's what I like to call trash TV. So yes, I you understand. Do like your trash TV. I, you know, I like to know that other people have really messed up lives. <laughs> so 90 day fiance has been on the, you know, rounds. Oh my God. And <laughs> Please tell me we're not talking about that. We're again. not talking about it. It's okay. just something that oh I've God. been watching. So a lot of my time has been reading actually. So Part of my Creepy Critics Corner is the book The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm, Unraveling the History and Hauntings of a Serial Killer's Home by Richard Estep and Robert Graves. So Robert Graves, who, by the way, owns Fox Hollow Farm, actually wrote part of this uh, book. So that's it's pretty cool. cool. Um, mm-hmm. And Richard Estep is a paranormal investigator who investigated Fox Hollow Farm and wrote about it. So I'll be oh, talking nice. a lot about him and his book and the investigations 
on the next episode. So if you have time between now and then, and you want to read a book and be like caught up on the topic, you can totally read that. I believe it's on Amazon, but I really hate giving them my money. So you could probably find it at a local bookstore. I actually found this book at a local bookstore in Seattle. So it is generally available all over. Um, another book that I actually found, two books were recommended um, on some group I'm in that recommended something spooky looking. And uh, I do love a good penguin publisher. So there's actually two books. One book is called The Penguin Book of the Undead. And one book is called The Penguin Book of Witches. And my favorite part of this is that when I told my boyfriend the title of these books, he thought that they were books about penguins that were witches. The, <laughs> it's it's like the Paris, publisher, it's, I'm assuming. Yes, it's the publisher's yeah. penguin. It's not a book about penguin witches. But I would read the fuck out I of that I know book. you would, so I'm telling you about it. But actually, I got the books because they have bits and pieces of literature that are about like the undead or about witches or that mm -hmm. have different types of stories involving them. Some are historical, some are um, fictional. And it's just a mm -hmm. really cool like book to have. And so we, I, I don't know, I might use it for a future episode at some point, but super cool books to reference. So this nice. Creepy Critics Corner is mostly on books for me. That's TV it. and books. Well, mixing it up a bit. So for the month of October, there will be another Tea and True Crime, which I've been doing pretty regularly about once a month for Spooks in Seattle. Uh, so you can find out more information on spooksinseattle.com. Yeah, it's actually really cool. If you haven't checked out a Tea and True Crime yet, do it. It's pretty fun. It's basically like a live podcast with a PowerPoint and images and live Kim. It's very fun. And live Kim, live and in person. Yes. Well, Except in not Zoom. live and in Zoom. <laughs> Still live though. Pretty cool. And you live. can be anywhere, yeah. anywhere to watch. So it's pretty cool. So we also have all of our episodes on our website. We also have all of our show notes and references. Our website is ghoulishtendencies.com. We also have an Instagram where we like to post pictures of all of our topics and sometimes a stupid funny meme, which is mm -hmm. Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Feel free to hit us up there. We also have a Facebook page, which is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We also have a Patreon, which is Ghoulish Tendencies, which we talked about earlier. You can always join and we'll send you some fun stuff. We also are on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. We so much appreciate all of the people who give us reviews on there. And thanks for listening. Stay spooky!